You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello and welcome to another episode of Writing Black. I'm your host, Maisha Kai, and as always, we are here to talk about Black thought, Black writers, Black thinkers, and Black leaders, and we have an incredible one here today. Beth Anna Hardison is a legend in the fashion world and beyond. Um, She has broken barriers at pretty much every level you can think at and is continuing to do so five decades into her career because she's still modeling y'all in addition to everything else. And she has an incredible new documentary out. Um, it's, It's a visual memoir. It is such a special film. It's called Invisible Beauty. I always know you can change things. I've done it before. Everyone's talking about diversity and inclusion. That directly stems from the work that Beth Ann did. Without her, the opportunities wouldn't exist for me to do what I love. She's like a second mother to me. That one shining light of kindness. We're all students of Beth Ann Hardison. And I always say, just, you know, a hammock and a tequila, I'm good. You heard it first. <laughs> Not only uh, does this film chronicle Beth Ann's incredible life, but she co-wrote and co-directed it. And that's why she's here with us today. Hello, Beth Ann Hardison. You are a personal hero of mine, so I cannot tell you enough how special it is to me that you were with us on Writing Black today. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm really well. I'm happy to be alive and very happy that, you know, people are enjoying the film. Really, very much so. You know, seeing a screener of this film, I did not expect, um, I, you know, I've always I've always followed your career. I, I, you know, for me, it's it was extremely yeah. personal. I, I modeled for 20 years myself. I started the year after you closed Beth Ann Management. And I remember it being one of my big regrets <laughs> is that I didn't get to work with Beth Ann. But, but what was so amazing to me about this film is that, you know, so many of us, um, particularly those of us who worked in fashion um, on both sides of the camera, you know, we owe you such a deep debt, such a gratitude. You know, those of us who are black yeah. in this industry, there's not an easy industry for anybody, but particularly for people of color and particularly for black people. And, you know, what you have managed to do um, is just kind of stratospheric. And and to see, the, you know, we're seeing Zendaya and Tracee Ellis Ross and Naomi Campbell and Iman and Tyson and all these people saying you were so instrumental in getting them off the ground. How does it feel to, um, you know, having this, this two-hour piece of work kind of, we talk about people getting their flowers, but how does this feel to, to have produced this? and see the way that people are showing up for you. Yeah. No, you know, I I look very, I I really truly look forward to it going into theaters. It it meant a lot to me um, as we were developing the film uh, for it to be in, to be on a silver screen. That was my ultimate, it has to be in a theater. And for me, it's been really great because for me, I've said, you know, often in in, in, in the Q and A's that I never thought I had a story I just didn't even imagine, you know, I, I, you know, we finished a film and when Frederick, my co-director, Frederick Chang sent me the uh, four hours of what he had gotten it down from seven hours that he loved. I mean, that's when I became a believer. So, I mean, I, I just had to say to him, well, okay, now I get it because I was doing the work, letting, being the subject, co-directing, mm-hmm. you know, working with him has been extraordinary, but I'm very excited that people are going to see it. And I want so many more people to see it. 
then even know that they should see it because <laughs> they won't know about it until we start telling them about it. But I'm very, very happy and very excited about it. And I think it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a like a game changer within myself. Because mm. I, I too learned a lot about me watching the film. And we will be right back with more Writing Black. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Grio Black Podcast Network. All right. Welcome back to Writing Black. It's a incredible to me that you would think that you didn't have a story because to I me know. I'm sitting there thinking there's so many stories in this I know. in this one piece of work I don't know how you managed to condense it down to two hours and yeah, it is tough. every single minute of it I think is so um inspiring and affirming um but it's also really deeply interesting like you are a deeply interesting person <laughs> the way that you talk about your upbringing and um you know, these these two very unique parents. I mean, you know, your father was an imam, like that, like all of these these elements who have made you into this person that um, so many of us now revere. Um, and you're also, this is also an interesting film because, you know, it's a story within a story. You are writing your memoirs as a documentary is being made about you. And it's, I've never seen anything quite like that. So let's talk about this, this act of storytelling and, and kind of doing these two things in tandem. Um, what was that experience like trying to flesh out this book that I, I can't, I also can't wait to read <laughs> and uh, fleshing out this, this on-screen story at the same time. Yeah, that, that was a challenge in itself. You didn't know it was a challenge until we got to a place where I got to a place where all of a sudden I was, you, the, the film started to take precedent. I was working in the film and writing, trying to write the book at the same time. Um, and it's my first book, and I'm the first time I'm writing something like this. All right, I'm good on you know Instagram and leaving great posts and writing nice letters and you know even writing paragraphs that could change the world, which it did, you know, with, in my letters. But it was really kind of a bit of a challenge to do it. Uh, but the idea that I still have to finish it, that's where the greatest challenge comes. <laughs> so for me, for me, it's really like, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. It's, uh, in it, and the book is going to be a different story because it's, it's many people's stories. I talk about a lot of people I knew that tells my stories. You hear what I say in the film. Uh, I learned that. And, um, it's not like the book because I mean, like, not like the film because the film is, has this common thread. The common thread is, you know, through it all, it talks about the activism, the advocacy. Even though it's not a fashion film, it's fashion related, there's so many layers of this film, like you said. So it really has its own, you know, storyline where the book is everything, anything, everything. You know, um, people I knew, people that you would know in my personal relationships with them, anywhere from a you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat to a, to a Carolyn Bassett that was married to mm -hmm. John John Kennedy. Mm -hmm. These are people that I experienced. So you, when I talk about them, I'm talking about myself. So it'll be interesting to see what I come up with or what they allow me to have 
because the editing is going to be interesting too. But hopefully I'll get the, the, the book out. You know, hopefully they're mm -hmm. hoping that it can be out by the end of 2024 or the beginning of 2025. I have to Fantastic. just finish this. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we also have to shout out Kiernan Mayo because she makes an appearance in the film. And I know that she's wor you're working yes. with her on this. And, yes. you know, we, we all owe her a great debt as well. Yes. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to talk about something that comes up in the film. Um, you talk about <laughs> this is so interesting for me to hear it from you because I think that those of us looking from the outside in at this incredible trajectory that you've had you know you seem so fearless you seem so like you're just going to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you're just going to you know give it all you got and to hear you admit that you were scared to death to <laughs> approach this book and tell these stories and and kind of dig into this new medium I thought was so vulnerable and I think as also as a writer you know was so powerful to me because that was that was super honest um tell me how you use fear you know you you've done so much and you're continuing to tackle things day by day and explore all these new things how do you tackle that fear that comes up for all of us when we're trying to do something new I don't like it I really honestly don't like fear. <laughs> I don't like the idea of being in fear. I don't like, that's why mm -hmm. I don't even go to crazy movies that, you know, mm -hmm. want, to scare, want to scare you to death. Why do I want to sit and put, pay for that? I did when I was a kid. But in fear, I mean, there's some things you're fearful about and you, it, it's something that's out of your control. But there's some things that, you're, that brings fear that's within your control. And I think starting my model agency, there was a lot of fear to that. I think, um, well, surely writing a book, there's great fear to that, you know, because you got to write it. And, you know, if you're not a practice writer, I, I'm sure that many writers think that they're not, they don't enjoy the process. You know, it's, 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 it's for many people who are professional writers, it's a lonely um, ride, I think. But for people who are like myself, I've just got to deliver and hope that people enjoy or care about what I'm writing about. Um, I think it's, so fear, in that case, you don't want to fail. I don't like failing. <laughs> so uh, I, I stay in my lane, sort of, kind of. You know, I don't try and go out and try and do things I can't. I've always wanted to snowboard. I learned to snowboard. <laughs> I broke my Love. finger, but it doesn't matter. Now I can't do it because I'm scared if I fall down, I can't get up as fast. But there's only a few things that I actually feel that I've, you know, had, you know, great fear at. And in some ways, you got to get out of your own way. That's the only thing that I always can say. Mm -hmm. to, do, to do this film, I had to get out of my way mm -hmm. because I was working on another film, and people would say to me, "Yeah, but you need to, you know, do somebody need to do a film on you?" And I just couldn't even imagine. I don't want to be in front of the camera. There's nothing to talk about me. But when I decided that it was easier to make this film about me, it would be easier to tell the story than if what I was trying to do. I was trying to do before an expose on the fashion industry and tell the story between three girls. And it was still called Invisible Beauty, but it, it becomes complicated in that way. So this is what we've done. So I got out of my own way and I let Frederick and I, who Frederick asked me to co-direct it. He said, I want you to co-direct this with me. And he's done some wonderful films prior. So I, I was very happy about that. I had no fear in that because I had him as a, a crutch. You know, he's your spar partner. And 
he's a very kind person and he's very um so she's so proud of me for how i allowed this story to be documented She's the godmother of fashion. When I started, I was the first black, black looking model on 7th Avenue. There was no people who looked like me. I knew the difference of segregation from childhood. These people thought that we were less. I let them know we are here. And I, we never had really any problems to doing any of it. So, so those fears come, go, you get out of it. But basically the only fears I tried that I'll attempt are the ones I think I can control. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one strategy. Um, and we're going to talk <laughs> about a few more. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Bethann Hardison to talk about Invisible Beauty on Writing Black. And we are back with the incredible Bethann Hardison. Um, we were just talking about fear. We were talking about vulnerability, mm-hmm. too. I mean, you really did, you know, there's, there's a portion where... Uh, Someone says in the film that you're a very private person. I, I want to say it's Le- Leah Capetti says it, it's that, that you're a very private person and uh, and a bit of an enigma to those who love you. And, and that that's a wide breadth of people who love you. Um, but there is a lot of vulnerability here. There's a lot of there's a lot revealed here. Um, you know, some of it, you know, how you know what was it like to kind of sit there you know i use the word excavation a lot on this podcast it's one of our keywords here when we talk about telling stories um but you know there's a lot of relationships revealed here you know you have your son talking about you know the difficulties of of having such a dynamic parent i think in some ways she sacrificed a lot my mother has enough ambition for the whole world it's really hard as a single mom i was scared to fail she wants us to win more than anything. It gets a little challenging at times. But that's going to be part of your great story. I don't know who I think I am, but I do be trying. You've got all these people who are, yes, on one hand, giving you your flowers, but also talking about how you really challenge them. So what was it like to kind of excavate some relationships through this process? Did you find it to be cathartic or healing or um, eye-opening? No, no. The only thing, honestly, um, they're not that deep. It looks, <laughs> <laughs> it looks more deep when I think in, in the film. That's I mean, some like, good editing, then. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, they look more deep because you know they say, "Oh, is everything all right with you and Kadeem? When's the last time you talked?" People really, are, you know, happily concerned. You know, um, it, there's always been you know, Kadeem just disappears, but it's not it's not like a dysfunctional relationship. No, we never had that. Um, but I have to admit that I could be very open about that. But I didn't realize it would be in the film either. I didn't realize that, you know, you know, whenever Frederick's with me, he's always shooting. But at the end of the day, I also find him like Father Confessor. I can easily tell him anything and everything. I just say, once we went on this journey together, I just could speak to him about, oh, I got COVID. They say I have COVID. I was working on this uh, series down in Georgia. and. I don't have COVID, but the only three people I told, well, he was one. So he becomes that person that you don't even notice what you're saying, and he has a camera up. Or, you know, when you're on the phone, you're talking. Um, The relationships like something like that, I think I had to really realize I'm co-directing this. I'm the subject. And if anything, I've always been a documentarian. This is my first film. 
But in my mind, I've always wanted to tell stories. Mm. You can't, you can't, in, you can't get in the way of the story. You have to, you whatever you do, you have to fall back and allow it to to just go because otherwise, you won't tell it right. People won't feel it. You can't be. It won't be honest to you. So I think that was the most important thing. And what did surprise me is seeing that I learned that because I didn't. So you'll know this. I wasn't available. I'm not sorry. wasn't available. That's not the word. I didn't allow myself to sit on any interview. So all the interviews were done just with Frederick and the crew. I never saw any of them until I saw them once they were edited. So to see what Kadeem had expressed and how he explained it, and they say his interview was as long as mine. Mine was the longest. His was equally. And I was just so proud of that, you know, that he could just, you know, cop to his his lacking in some way, you know. He, he's not putting it. So that was very, very nice to, to hear, you know, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I'm always we're usually talking on this podcast about, you know, characters, but when it's real people and, you know, I, I did think it was really interesting. I love that you've already alluded to the memoir that's that's coming, which sounds like it's going to be just as kind of wonderfully unconventional as this, that you are, I, I hope I'm correct here. I'm taking this from the film um, that you are, yes, telling your story through other people's stories you know I mean I think the the big thing you walk away from invisible beauty with is is this this indelible sense of impact that you have have made yeah um and and so taking on telling your story through other people like how is that how are you teasing that out is it is it um kind of like I mean I don't want you to spoil anything for us but are you doing this through vignettes? Are you doing this through, through revelations? Is it chronological? Like, how it's is that unfolding for you? Yeah, yeah, in, in the writing, in the writing mm. of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, it's just, it's not, the whole book is not telling my story through okay. through others. But in some cases it is because I'm telling you an incident that happened or a story that happened or, you know, a situation. And it the lead, the reason why the situation happens because, you know, Carolyn came to my, office and sat down and told me when she and John had first started dating. I mean, it's things like that. I'm telling Mm -hmm. that story, but the fact that I'm the one telling it is like, it's my story. Yeah. You see? So that in that case, yes, that is how it is. But then there's other things that sometimes it's just a paragraph of Mm -hmm. me just telling you what I think about something. So it can be philosophical in one way. Uh, And then in other places, I really do tell you, my experiences and things that are beginning to, I'm recognizing as I've gotten older, you know, I was an athlete. I was always active. I'm a well-known dancer, you mm-hmm. know, social dancer. And I basically, now I'm finding the imbalance of walking. So I want to write about body and how it mm-hmm. changes. Really how you really begin to see how age becomes something you don't notice that happens, but you notice it in other ways too. How you feel about people, relationships, and I think it's so important, you know, surely to talk about how people have their relationships and how they manage their children. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you witness so many things that you start to share just what you're beginning to observe. And that's things like that are in the book, even about my fat, you know, the model industry. You know, uh, there are many people who feel very positive that everything is inclusive. Everything should be inclusive. I don't feel like that. 
Okay. I think there should be a line where everything is exclusive. There are some things that should be exclusive. I mean, that's what keeps the bar high. Uh, and that's what reminds you much more of an industry that we think we're in. We're, this has become more pop culture more and more and more and more. That changes exactly what we knew something to have been. It becomes an influence from the outside. This was a tiny little island in the fashion industry but forever, you know? And now it's full of much more migrants, but the island real estate hasn't changed. It's the same small little industry. It's not the auto industry. It's called the fashion industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk more about that. And um, and also, yeah, because I think there's something to be, to be said there in terms of the fantasy that is fashion. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Beth Ann Hardison and more Riding yeah. Black. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Grio Black Podcast Network. And we are back with more Writing Black and our incredible guest today, Beth Ann Hardison. We were just talking about, um, I, well, we were talking about so many things. I'm, I'm, I am personally overwhelmed by this conversation because I think like the amount of wisdom <laughs> that you obviously impart to everyone you encounter is so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's so rich. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about relevance. Uh, you know, as we were just talking about age and we were talking about fantasy and, you know, all these things that, um, I mean, that often don't go in tandem together, but you are still very much a part of the fantasy world that, I mean, you know, uh, that is fashion, you know, um, you are still starring in campaigns and still, you know, you still have so much input and so much influence. Um, how, how is, what does it mean to you now, that level of like, you know, being on the other side of it, I mean, we're 50 years out now from the Battle of Versailles, right? This year, we celebrate 50 years, and um, which was a groundbreaking moment for you, for Black women in fashion, et cetera. But like, what does it mean to you now, that relevance, you know? Now, yeah, um, you know, the good thing is that I, people say, oh my God, you have such a full life. And you don't, and that's the reason why Frederick, my co-director, Frederick Chang, asked me to, co-direct the film is because he felt that I'm still alive. It's very, you know, he didn't want to take the full responsibility of telling a story about someone is who's still living our life so full. So I think the relevancy thing is just something that so happens to happen to certain people. It doesn't happen to everyone. Everyone shouldn't try hard to make it happen to them because you're just like. <laughs> and don't we all try? We try so hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's something that shows up at the end more towards as your life, as you're doing it, you know, um, people would say to me, you know, when I had to start the model agency, oh my God, you know, you just, you always remain relevant. You know, you don't think you're, you're not trying to remain relevant. You're just trying to make sure you don't get evicted. You're not (laughs) trying to do anything special in that way, but many people think because you have success at it, that was a goal. It never been my goal. Like I, when I say I'm not ambitious, no one buys that. They think it's ridiculous. How could you say that? Look at all what you've done, but you don't do it out of ambition. You do it out of need. Oftentimes that's what happens. You just got to do something or 
it's it's the way you have to walk the walk because you're capable, but not because you know you. Oh my goodness! One day, being ambitious, you can make a plan. You know, um, the way my life is run, it just seems like things just pop up. And when it comes down to the the industry of fashion and the industry of uh, uh, models, they're two different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. Yeah. Um, they uh, they they basically it's changed so greatly and so much. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I could go work with Gucci and become this consultant that was so, I mean, such an incredible moment because I've never worked corporately. It's so great to have experienced that. But you also see that Alessandro noticed something about me and uh, Benedetta, another uh, woman of age as a model, and he put us in his campaign. That was something I fought for a while. I don't really want to do that. I don't really, (laughs) but you know, I'm glad I wind up doing it because the experience of the shoot was great because of the photographer and we shot it in Rome and being on the street, how fast he was. He only did two, two shots and that was great. And then, the, you know, the once that happens and it starts to become like a slow train, the next thing somebody else is asking you to do something, whether it be the Victoria's Secret or the Gap or Kate Spade, all these things start to happen. And uh, people start to make, you know, joke about it. Oh, the British Vogue was amazing because I thought he's going to do a portrait and that's it. No, he wanted eight pages. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not a print model. I've never been, I'm a <laughs> runway model. But he said, oh, you're a sofa model. Uh, that's Edward NFL saying that. No, I'm not. Uh, I was a top model at the time within that game. But anyway, we got it done. And, and the truth of it is you can do it. And it, it turns out nice and it's really great. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know, I that ambition conversation is such an interesting one. Um, I I related to it personally because I I also have a life that is and a career that is kind of just things pop up. But when do you know? When do you know it's time to to go and to transition? I mean, you 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 closed you closed your modeling agency. You know, at a point where I think a lot of people were like, Yeah, really? You know, like yeah, doesn't, new- you know. Yeah, it's true. It's up here, you know, and most people don't do that. How 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 do you act upon that instinct? Because I do think in many ways there's some parallels to writing there. Like when do you know to, when, when to close a chapter? I guess yes, is maybe exactly. the best way to phrase exactly. that. Exactly true. Um, w- when it comes to something like my model agency, I never wanted to have a model agency. I got talked into having the model agency. And then Bonnie Berman, who's in the film, went and found me the money and all the models was willing to take the risk with me. So I didn't have to do the voucher system, which was something that other model agencies had enough finance to do. I was looking to get out of it when I went into it. So it wasn't something that, you know, you say, oh, you know, it doesn't happen to me where it happens more to me in a way that it's the next thing you have to do. It's not like a plan, because I think if you had a plan, then, you know, that's ambition. That's being, you know, like setting goals. I've never done that. So the model agency thing, yes, I wanted to get out of it, but I was so successful that it wound up being 13 years, but I knew in the 12th year that that 13th year had to be my out. And I'm very happy that it allowed me to come out and I didn't fall on my face. Yeah, I could have sold my model agency, but then I would have had to stay in it. And then many people started writing in the New York Times specifically saying, you know, now that I'm leaving the industry, what's gonna happen because I kept the industry so much more balanced. But then when I did leave, it <laughs> it went down into, you know, the, the Berlin Wall came down and Eastern Europe 
game and the models changed. So then you had to come back into the game in some way to change it, to fix it, to to, to acknowledge that this was happening. And yeah, you, you get to a place where you basically just know that life helps you move you along more so than you taking life and telling life what to do. I think in my case, that's what's happened. Um, I I know it in that I watching, hearing people talk about the film that, that way, it made them, so many people want to go home and change their life, go home and fix their life, go home and do more, go home. You know, I was hearing all of these things. Uh, I look at the film in such a way, it's such an inspiring film, I hear it. Um, um, so I, I understand it, but I promise you, as I said to a young kid who asked me, what should we do as young people? And I said, don't try to be like the woman on the screen because that isn't necessarily your role or, or the goal that will benefit you. Mm -hmm. But what you should do is just go out and vote. If you yeah. vote, you are doing a great deal for us all. That's the only thing you can only ask people to do. If you want to fix what's going on, you got to vote. Stop talking about they're all the same and all the excuses you give. That kind of thing is how you actually see how your life changes is by doing things that you know you're supposed to do. And then you, good news is that things work out sometimes real nice. I mean, I would say so. And I, I love that advice personally. Um, I also think, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in you've changed so much for so many people for the better, but obviously there's still so much. Um, and as you see, whenever you, you know, when you took your hands off the wheel, like they they slide right back. Um, yeah. what, what would you like to see next? You know, I mean, you talk, you, you kind of, um, you talk a little bit about this passing of the torch a bit, but, um, but, um, whether it's you or someone else, what would you like to see continue to happen or, or mom momentum that you would like to see, um, in I the think, industries that you've chosen? I think that, you know, it's not much more can be done. The industry has changed a great deal. The model industry has changed. The, there's so many more models. You can't develop talent like you used to. Uh, there's so much more. Um, we have things like casting directors and stylists. They came on board, you know, a decade, maybe a decade or two ago or less. But things have changed in the industry. And the fact that we were able to finally help people to see that you know, that blacks can wear clothes in the wintertime for your collection or that you can actually try to make sure you be inclusive racially. Um, that was something that I think was so important to do. And it's been done. They, they've done it. I really want the young emerging designers of color or any color to really recognize, do you really want to go out there based on ego or do you want to go learn how to be in the business? Would be wiser to really go work for someone for a while, for a good while, and so that someone else can discover you at what you're good at. That's what happens in Europe a lot with the luxury brands. So I think really, I think the industry has really gone its way. I think it's really where it's going to be. I think it's going to stay racially diverse for quite a while. I do. I think that the DEI of corporations and things like that is having already its effect. And I do know that whatever happened with Black Lives Matter and Mr. Floyd losing his life in that way, that set the industry and everybody ablaze, that's now really falling back. 
what Good they one. extended before is not being extended so much now. Right. So anybody who had it together basically should try and make sure it stays together because they may be the ones who can win this. Good it's one. not meant for everybody. Everyone's not going to fit through that tunnel. I've said that often. You got to know this is the, the model industry. Industry is separate. But the fashion industry has to deal a lot with wholesale and retail. And that's not an easy game. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's interesting because you, we hear, again, Leah Capetti in the, in the documentary, yeah. she says, you know, she makes that reference to there only being one. And I, I think because of you, we know that there, not only can there be more than one, but so many of us made it through the door. Um, you know, we ask a question of everyone who comes on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you as well. Um, you are writing now, but what do you read? Like what, who do you love? What, what, who are the creators oh that you love to, to engage with? Don't ask that question because <laughs> I, I don't read. I know. I shouldn't that, say that out loud. That's the, that, that's the answer. That's I the listen answer. To, I'm, a, I'm a talk. I listen to talk radio. And I, I, I really, I do. And I'm, I listen to talk radio more than I listen to music. I listen to the radio. I'm a radio kid. <laughs> <laughs> but I have lots of books. I have so many books, um, and there are so many great writers right now. You know, ah, it's just so many. And I haven't. I don't. I don't. I don't engage like I used to when I was younger. And I don't know if it's because I had time or whatever. But some people, I was saying to my publisher, it's interesting about writing and the publishing world. There are people who nowadays don't read like they used to. There's an enormous amount of people like that but they're gonna always be people who need to read. That's always the case. There's people who just read uh, um, and and they will always need to read. And so I, I, I'm just not, I hate to admit it, but I'm not that, but I have lots of books and I collect them. I, I, I just do. I there's a word for us, those people like that who, who collect a lot of books, who collect more books than we read. There is a word for that. I'm gonna find it and say it on the podcast <laughs> at some point. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I, again, we cannot thank you enough for joining us. I really want people to engage with this film. Invisible Beauty is such, it's such an accomplishment. It's such a marvelous um, and wonderful, you know, it, it, and it is wonderful that you're, that you're living, that you're here, that we can discuss this with you because so often yeah. people don't get their flowers until after the fact and to have you still here, still vibrant, still doing everything that you do. Um, you know, I really hope people will engage with it. Go to the theater. You can go back to the theater, guys. It's coming out on September 15th. Go to the theater. Enjoy it. You know, take yourself to lunch or dinner and have a glamorous evening with Beth Ann Hardison. And thank and you the, so much for joining us. And I'm just going to add one word or two. Oh, go for it. September 15th at the Film Forum. It starts. That's a theatrical release. And it should be there at least two weeks. But if you keep coming, everyone, it will be there for three and four. That's right. You know, you know about demand, y'all. So that's how trends get started. Um, but yeah, this is you know, you are you are godmother to many. Some of us yeah. you don't even know, <laughs> and you God and because you. and because you did, we know that we can. So thank you so much for everything. You're so you welcome. I'm so proud to see you here, and thank you for this conversation. Thank I you. I appreciate it, really. Well, that was an incredible experience, and just so you know. I actually did get a few of Beth Ann's favorite writers out of her. Uh, she loves the writing of Roxane Gay. Shout out to Roxane Gay and Zadie Smith. So 
she does read, y'all. This is a little portion of Writing Black that we love to call my favorites, our recommended reading for the week. And I would be remiss if I did not point out this book, The Incredible Supreme Models, Iconic Black Women Who Revolutionized Fashion. This is by Marcellus Reynolds with a foreword by Veronica Webb, supermodel Veronica Webb. And of course, Beth Ann is in this book, as are a lot of your favorite faces, I'm sure, and the stories behind them. But if you really, really want to know more about this incredible industry, this incredible journey, and Beth Ann's personal impact on the fashion industry, not just modeling, the fashion industry at large, you got to check out Invisible Beauty. I can't say it enough. Yes, it's going to open at the Film Forum. It's an independent film. It'll be all over the country. Please look for it. Google is your friend. Um, and... Join us next time for another episode of Writing Black. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Writing Black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts. I'm political scientist, author, and professor, Dr. Christina Greer, and I'm host of The Blackest Questions on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. This person invented ranch dressing around 1950. Who are they? I have no idea. This all began as an exclusive Black History trivia party at my home in Harlem with family and friends. And they got so popular, it seemed only right to share the fun with our Griot listeners. Each week, we invite a familiar face on the podcast to play. What was the name of the person who was an enslaved chief cook for George Washington and later ran away to freedom? In 1868, this university was the first in the country to open a medical school that welcomed medical students of all races, genders, and social classes. What university was it? No, th this is why I like doing stuff with you because I leave educated. I was not taught this in Alabama public schools. Question yeah. number three, you ready? Yes, let me okay. try to redeem myself. How did we go from Kwanzaa to like, these obscure sport, darling. This is like the New York Times crossword from a Monday to a Saturday. Right or wrong? Because all we care about is the journey and having some fun while we do it. I'm excited and also a little nervous. Oh, listen, no need to be nervous. And as I tell all of my guests, this is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because Black history that. is American history. So we're just going to have some fun. Listen, some people get zero out of five. Some people get five out of five. It doesn't matter. We're just going to be on a little intellectual journey together. Latoya Cantrell? That's right, Mayor okay. Latoya Cantrell. Hercules Posey. Mm. Born in 1754, and he was a member of the Mount Vernon slave community widely admired for his culinary skills. I'm going to guess Afro Pump. Close is okay. Afro Nation. So last year, according to my research, it's Samuel Wilson, aka Falcon. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I, I am I am disputing this. I'm very, 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 very 99.9999 sure that it is Representative John Lewis, who is also from the state of Alabama. That lets you know, Christina, we got some goodness come out of Alabama. There is something in the water in Alabama, and you are absolutely correct. The harder they come. Close. Oh, wait, uh, the harder they fall? That's right. I'm one of those people that, that just changes one word. <laughs> I mean, I know they fall too well. I just don't know nothing today. It's I'm going to pour myself a little water while you tell me the answer. The answer is Seneca Village. 
which began in 1825 with the purchase of land by a trustee of the AME Zion Church. You know why games like this make me nervous? I don't know if I know enough black. Do I know enough? How black am I? Oh, my Lord. They, they gonna, we gonna find out in public. So give us a follow, subscribe, and join us on The Blackest Questions.